Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Haller. And now I am sure you've heard about our next guest. Uh, he's been everywhere. He's at just about every conference, speaks on main stage all the time. Uh, and his official title is Chief Behavioral Officer at uh, Orion Advisor Services, Dr. Daniel Crosby. How are you, sir? Hey, great to be with you. We're, we're in plaid today. I know. We're, we're actually, we're, we're, uh, you're actually looking a little bit more Canadian than I usually look. I have a shirt just like that with that Buffalo plaid. I absolutely love it. All right. Well, let's, let's kind of get started. So I, I know people know who you are because again, you, ha- you're pretty much almost like omnipresent in financial services. What are you working on right now? Uh, just from an academic standpoint, from a research standpoint, what are you seeing? What's going on in our industry? Yeah. So at Orion, we're uh, working on something we're super excited about called the B520. So it is a 20 question assessment of, of uh, an individual's financial values. And what's extra cool about it is it can actually be paired with that of a partner, right? As a, a, you know, a spouse, a spouse, a partner, or even, you know, even a child or someone with whom, you know, you might eventually pass down legacy assets. But basically, uh, if you use it solo, you're able to see sort of what your financial values are across five dimensions, 20 questions, hence the, hence the B520. Uh, but what's my, my favorite part, though, is that like my wife and I could take it and we could see where we sit relative to each other on these various continua and we could say, OK, like uh, you have a value for this. I have a value for that. It's totally non pejorative. It's not like, you know, she's right. He's wrong. But just helping you to gain deeper understanding of those financial values, where they may come into conflict, where you may have blind spots. Uh, so we think this is going to be an awesome tool for understanding clients, adding value to relationships, marketing, uh, influence, all the things that you talk about. So we think it's going to be a really neat tool that we're super excited to roll out. We're going to dive into all of that more deeply. We're going to dive a little bit about you know how you can use stuff like this for content for for all of your social media, and then we're we're going to switch gears a little bit later in the show and really talk about about influence specifically and how you as a expert in behavioral finance look at how we talk about influence. But I want to dive into that a little bit more deeply because advisors, as you know, are always looking for meaningful content that's going to engage their audience. How are you guys seeing advisors using this? I mean, are they going to be able to, to post it on their website? Are they going to be able to write content surrounding this? Are you guys providing them with any support? Yeah, we're going to be providing all sorts of social media support, white papers, blog posts, all of this to contextualize it because there's candidly just not much like it out there. But, you know, so much of what we do, uh, if, we're, if we're honest, is seen by the outside world as kind of boring. You know, I mean, you could say... You could say, hey, you know, come let us have a look at your portfolio and we'll give you a second opinion. And and while that's certainly a valuable service, it isn't very spicy, shall we say? And so we think that behavioral finance has interesting value to add. 
in terms of adding real value to people's lives, right? And, and uh, as an entree or an introduction to an advisor. So our advisors will be able to post this with their social media, their friends can share it with their friends, and those leads will accrue back to that advisor. And so this is kind of a cool thing where you're going to get a report about your financial values, how you communicate, how much you worry, you know, whether you see money as sort of an individualistic uh, or a collectivistic good, all these things. And you'll be able to share that with the people you love. And, and you know, our advisors will gain deeper insights into their clients and get introduced uh, to people who are interested and having conversations about financial wellness. So we think it's a, a win for everybody. I'm going to challenge something there because do you, do you want advisors to take this too so that they understand their relation to money? Because doc, what you're talking about here, I don't think advisors necessarily entirely have fleshed out their feelings surrounding these things. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. So, you know, Jason's Zweig many, many years ago, great, great financial writer, and a great thinker in behavioral finance, you know, he had this, this speech he gave and, and, you know, turned into a talk that was all about using behavioral finance as a mirror and not a window. And I think that a lot of times, you know, we use behavioral finance as a window onto other people's quirks and their irrationalities. And, and you know, when people read books like mine or lots of other folks who've written great books in the field, they go, you know, aha, like I, I saw my spouse or I saw my dad or, you know, I saw my neighbor in these descriptions of these quirky, irrational behaviors. But, you know, I'm a I'm a clinical psychologist by by education. And, and when I was going through my training to be a shrink, the most valuable thing, you know, the, the, the two most valuable things I did was first get my own therapy. Right. Because. You're, you're not a blank slate, and God knows if you went to graduate full school for psychology, you're very messed up. Like, no one does that. <laughs> you know, nobody does that because they're well-adjusted. So, you know, you go figure yourself out first. And then the second most valuable thing I did was we would watch tape the way that an athlete does. We would watch tape of our therapy sessions and have our peers break it down and say, you know, stop the tape. Why did you say this and not that? And so, yeah, to your point, I really believe that people have a sixth sense for authenticity. And if you are preaching, uh, you know, uh, if you're preaching this financial gospel high from the mountaintop where you're viewed as perfect and impervious to all these things, people are going to smell how fake that is. And they're not good. You know, they're not going to respond. You won't be able to influence them. But if you've done your own work, if you've been humble and candid with yourself about your own shortcomings, you can take clients only as far as you've taken yourself in some respects. And so we hope that first and foremost, this will be something for advisors to learn about their own behavior. I want to unpack some of that stuff there. Um, something that we have been talking about on this show for, for quite a long time is when you're unapologetically yourself, and the only way that you get there is through self-reflection and work on yourself, you actually don't have any competition because there's no other Dr. Daniel Crosby. There's no other Matt Halloran. I mean, well, there is on the internet. He plays baseball and I guess he sucks, but whatever. Um, but the other thing is, I want to I want to talk just a little bit about that because because I, I didn't go on to get a PhD, but my master's degree was as a therapist and we had to do the same thing. Right. I mean, I was sitting around class looking around thinking to myself, man, these people need more work than they're probably ever going to give. 
And I don't know if advisors look around the room and think the same sorts of things because they probably should. We have interviewed, so we've done 7,000 podcasts for advisors in the beginning of all of our launches for our shows uh, with our clients. They have to tell their story. And Doc, it's unbelievable the baggage that these advisors have surrounding their relationship to money. And sometimes our podcasts are the first time they've actually talked about it. So I'm so glad that that's awesome. What an amazing self-reflective tool. And then that also gives them that ability to say, well, let me ask you this. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to infer that. Do you then recommend advisors say, I think like that too. How, How do you, in your expertise, see advisor being able to share the results of theirs to I don't know, deepen the relationship with the client who also took it. Yeah, it's it's a little bit tricky, just the same way that it's that it's tricky in therapy. And, I, you know, I'm going to give you kind of an unsatisfactory middle ground answer, sort of an it depends answer, because, you know, the old school therapeutic thought, like the Freudian thought was your client lays on a chaise lounge, you have their back, your your back to them and they can never see you. You're like you're a blank slate there to know nothing about you. If you, you know, if they ask you anything about your life, you were only to say, gee, that's interesting. And like, you know, kind of, you know, and that's sort of a weird, that's sort of a weird way to, to move through both clinical work and, and advisory work. But then on the other hand, we do run the risk of making it too much about ourselves or sort of imbuing our um, personal preferences, because again, there's no, there's no right here. Right. Like, for instance, one of the categories we we found <laughs> the way that we studied these values was by finding what people fight about, <laughs> because, you know, it's uh, it's it's as Richard Thaler said when he was, you know, doing all his great work on the behavioral biases. If you want to study memory, you don't study memory, you study forgetting. And so if you want to study financial values, you don't you don't ask people like, hey, buddy, what are your financial values? You find the points of conflict in relationships and you know that there's friction there because these things are important to these folks. And so that's what we did is we, we effectively arrived at these, these financial values by asking couples what they fight about when, when they fight about money. And so the number one fight was, is money best used to secure today or excuse me, enjoy today or secure tomorrow? So, right, do you do you sort of seize the day with this money and enjoy the moment because YOLO and, you know, tomorrow's not promised? Or do you sort of buy yourself some safety and, and some freedom down the line? And the answer is, of course, both are important, right? Like most most people lean, you know, one way or the other, but but both are important. And if you're too far towards either pole, it's sort of unsatisfactory and you're going to live, you know, a, a one dimensional life. And so I, I think the advisor uh, needs to be candid and forthcoming and transparent enough that they're authentic and that they're engaging. But I also think that you don't want to make it about you. The research is really unequivocal that when you ask people, uh, you know, in a first meeting, how was that meeting with your advisor? One of the best predictors of being liked in that first meeting is time of possession. <laughs> and if, if that client gets to talk a lot, they tend to like you better. So, you know, making sure that you're balancing the need to be authentic and transparent with the 
baggage that may be brought you to the industry in the first place and not making this about you. One of the biggest struggles that we we have with with some of our clients is the fact that they want their whole podcast to be about them. So again, it's them talking at people instead of seeing like it's a conversation. Now, you and I also have a common hero. And so we're going to switch gears here uh, because uh, when you and I had met, and I think it was at, at the Riskalyze conference, were you at Riskalyze? I've been at a few Riskalyze. I wasn't this year. All right. Well, I can't remember where in the heck we just ran into each other. I know you do a lot of conferences and I do too. But one of the things that that I had brought up was Dr. Robert Cialdini, right, with his seven principles in, 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 of influence. And you have been using the word influence, which I, I greatly appreciate because that's such a vital mindset shift. Marketing has fundamentally changed. You have to market to your ideal client and prospect in the media they prefer while they're there with organic, authentic content. So I've said that a million times and I'm going to say it a million times more because it is so important and so powerful. Let's talk about Cialdini's principles very quickly and also talk about how you, what have you witnessed in the world of financial services? You've been here for a bit, right? A lot of people ask you a lot of questions. You get pulled into a lot of uh, meaningful discussions because, well, of your background. Are you seeing a shift in the mindset that advisors realize that influence is more important than the pomp and circumstance, the egocentric way that it was when I even got into the industry in the early 2000s. So, you know, let me be unequivocal here. There is no competency that is as important as influence for a financial advisor. Like it is, it is the meta skill. It is the meta competency. And the reason I say this is every facet of an advisor's job has influence at the heart of it. You know, business development is influencing people to partner, you know, to partner with you to part with their hard earned cash in exchange for your goods and services. You know, leadership within your organization is uh, persuading people to rally behind you and work in service of a common goal. Behavioral coaching, clearly near and dear to my heart, is influencing and persuading people to set aside their more natural uh, short-term action-oriented impulses around money and be patient and long-term and all these other things, none of which come, you know, come natural to humankind. So if you look at sort of every, every tool, every competency that an advisor is called upon to, to excel at influences at the very heart of that. So yeah, like, look, if, if folks like me and you have anything to do with it, I talk about Cialdini. I've sold a lot of books for Cialdini. Like I, you know, like I, I talk about his stuff all the time. And as, as we discussed, he, he doesn't need any more money. Or we know what he's charging for a keynote. We, we, he doesn't need to sell any more books. But I've, I've sold a lot of books for him. And uh, it's, it's because I think that influence, if you could just be good at one thing, it's the Swiss army knife of, of being a good advisor. So out of the seven principles, let, let's talk about a couple of them, right? Uh, so so which one is one that really jumps out to you that you think if an advisor implemented just one of these seven or maybe two of these seven, that they would be a fundamentally better, more influential advisor? Yeah, so I'm going to, oh, it's hard to choose one. I'm going to go, uh, you know, look, I'll go with my favorite one, which is, which is reciprocity, right? We all have these mental bank accounts, these sort of relational bank accounts, debits and credits, and we go, okay, you know, this person did something kind for me, 
uh, you know, I owe them one or, or, you know, look, I've had Matt over for dinner three times in a row, like that jerk isn't coming over again until, you know, he has me over to his house. And so, you know, we, we all have these and telling advisors that, look, one of the most powerful things you can do is to just put some good out into the world, to just be spreading sunshine, right? like to just be adding value every day doing acts of kindness, adding value, creating content that makes people smarter, better, faster, stronger, like all these things, that comes back to you in spades when you need a favor called in and not in any kind of like weird mafia way. Like it's just a natural, you know, it's just this natural thing that if you move through the world in a generous way, in a curious way and you you share the findings of that curiosity with other people when it's time for you to to ask for something the world's going to be good to you and i think that's just like an awesome way to live a life one of my fav favorite uh, quotes from recent television is be curious not judgmental from ted lasso and in and, and that some of us try to live our lives that way luckily being curious behind a microphone is kind of my job which makes me super happy i get to live that but let's talk about the principle of reciprocity, because if you partner the principle of reciprocity with the principle of consistency, this is where content marketing is the key. If you are constantly helping your general audience, whatever your niche is, get better, stronger, faster, smarter, at some point, they're going to say, the cup will runneth over and they'll be like, I'm ready. Hey, I know this guy. His name is Dr. Daniel. Christ. He's a real, he's been telling me how to manage my mind. I've taken all this advice from, from him for so many years. I'm going to give him a call. And, and just so you know, that happens to our clients. The, the funny thing is it doesn't happen as quickly as anybody wants, because as you know, nothing ever happens on anybody's freaking timeline. Uh, but I absolutely love that. So one of the, so let's talk a little bit about consistency because as you know, being, you know, a clinical therapist, you consistency was very important to be able to shape overall behavior of your clients. Uh, you know, it's very important for advisors to do that when you're coaching advisors on behavioral finance, is there a frequency level where you're talking about the, the frequency of communication, the frequency of meetings, things like that? Would you mind expanding on that a smidge? Yeah. Well, so I think you made a great point earlier about nothing happens as, as, you know, quickly as people would like. And, you know, I know when I started creating content, you, you're frustrated at first and now, <laughs> now I'm to the point, I shouldn't say this. I will, we're going to be authentic today. Now, I, you know, now I'm to the point where I can, it, it used to be, I would post some banger on social media and it would just like crickets. Right. And now, you know, now I'm to the point where it's like, look, if I put something on LinkedIn, I'm like, this is kind of so, so. But it's like it's still going to do numbers because you you know you you've built up you've built up that consistency. So I think that's that's important. That from a behavioral perspective, though, you know, uh, consistency has this sort of partner in Cialdini's work, which is commitment, right? And so people want to make commitments and then act in a manner that is consistent with the commitments they've made. They they want to be true to their word. And so one of the things that I encourage people to do that that not as many people have taken me up on as I as I would have liked, hopefully some of your listeners will, is we all know what, it, what an IPS is, right? We all know what an investment policy statement is in the industry and, and advisors are forever promising to their clients, like, look, these are the, um, 
these are the rules and the strictures I'll adhere to in the care and safeguarding of your money. And that's an appropriate commitment to make. But there should be a reciprocal commitment, reciprocity, right? There should be there should be a reciprocal commitment coming the other way from the client because we know that one of the biggest one of the biggest uh, pitfalls in, in our world is non-compliance, right? Like we give we give uh, we know that about 40 percent of Americans receive advice. Less than half of them take that advice as it's delivered, which is consistent with everything we know about you know, diet and exercise and, and um, uh, medical, like, you know, medical non-compliance is one of the leading causes of death in, in the U.S. People who have access to doctors, people who have access to medicine, and then just don't do what they say. And so I encourage people to, to sign, to have their clients sign a behavioral policy statement to make that commitment. And actually my book, The Laws of Wealth, the first half of The Laws of Wealth is just my behavioral policy statement. Those like 12 rules, that's just my behavioral policy statement to say, look, I, as your advisor, am going to follow, these are the rules I'm gonna follow in the, in the care and you know proper care and feeding of your money. But you have a reciprocal responsibility, which is I can't do this without your help. And if if we're going to do this together, I need you to main, you know, to be long term. I need you to not watch catastrophic news headlines, whatever, you know, whatever your behavioral policy statement is. And people want to act in a way that's consistent with their commitments. And, and you have them make that commitment in a cold sort of emotionless state. And then when they come to you in March of 2020 and say, sell everything, you know, go, look, there was a time <laughs> there was a time when when we decided that we were going to do different and we we knew that there would be days like this um and i think that power of commitment and consistency is so powerful from a behavioral perspective for for clients when i was a marriage counselor which by the way is the worst job i think i've ever had in my entire life um one of the major things that i had learned when i was going through my uh supervision period uh, which by the way, as a young therapist or a new therapist, you have to have somebody who's overseeing you much like what, what, what you were just talking about with, you know, reviewing the tapes. Well, we, we had to do that in, in our, our own therapeutic sessions. And the number one reason why everybody got a divorce is expectations. Well, she should know this. He should know this. You as a financial services professional and here, here goes with consistency, uh, with, you know, reciprocity, when you are reinforcing the behaviors that you're expecting in your clients with clear expectations, much like the 12 that you just talked about, right? Having that behavioral statement, it, so we've seen what's happening right now in the market coming, right? It's, it's time. <laughs> We know the market cycles and this stuff just happens. You know, 9, 10, 12, 14, 18 months ago, if you firmly believe with what you have been writing about for many, many years now, you should have been reinforcing that sort of stuff. Look, hey, you know what? Uh, we're about due, right? If you remember that, you know, that behavioral statement that we had you, behavioral policy statement that we had you sign, I'm going to review a couple of these things to consistently reinforce that. I think a lot of advisors, it's like when doc, it's like when they give them a financial plan and, and they think that the client is just going to take that home and do everything that's in the damn financial plan. Uh, but it's just like that 50% thing that you were just talking about with, with medical and, and all of that stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like nobody, um, 
you know, Med Faber is always talking about this and it's brilliant. I love it. He's all, he's always citing, he's citing this statistic that's been around for a couple of months. And it's that, you know, coming into, coming into 2022, uh, client expectations, forward return expectations for the next decade were 17% a year. Okay. So we were going to get 17% a year on the S&P for the next decade after a decade of effectively 17, you know, whatever, 15% a year for a decade. And now we're going to get a further 17% a year. And, you know, we know that human beings do this. You know, we know we take the recent past and sort of project it into the future indefinitely. But an advisor's job is to sort of inoculate their clients against the future, doing the very thing you've talked about. Because if your client thinks that going into 2022, they're going to have 17%, like they're due 17% a year annualized, you have no chance, right? If, if that's their expectation, whatever you do is going to be a letdown. Um, and so expectation management is just huge. I love, I love the idea of, of, you know, setting, setting those clear expectations. Uh, I, I love the idea that the, the recency bias is such a humongous thing that we have to just combat regularly because it also happens on the back end, right? The market is consistently not doing well, kind of like it has now where we got a double whammy with the bond market and, you know, the stock market, that recency bias is going to swing the other way. Um, all right. So, so if you had, uh, parting words for, uh, you know, this, this, this year and in years to come for advisors, if you could give them one piece of advice in order to encapsulate your wisdom that you've imparted on financial services over the many years that you've been doing this. Um, I know this is a super loaded question, dude, well, what would it be? It would be that the, re we're going to keep it clean. We got two shrinks on the call. We're going to say, we're going to keep it uh, shrinky and say it's the relationship that heals, right? If you look at the, if you look at the outcomes literature from from psychotherapy, one of the most outstanding findings in 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 you know my field of education was that the thing that is curative in a therapeutic relationship is not the school of thought, like it's not the approach of the of the psychotherapist, it's not the years of education, it's none of these things. It's the level of rapport, like self-reported rapport between the client and, and the therapist. And I see a direct analog to, to the world of financial services. And, you know, Accenture came out with this study last year that I talk about every time I get a chance. They ask people, what are you looking for in a financial advisor? The number one answer was someone who gets me. The number two answer was someone with whom I share values. And the number three answer was someone like someone I can hang with socially, like, so, you know, someone whose company I enjoy sort of like organically. And it's fascinating because like the technical competence is assumed. Like, you know, we, we, we work, we live in a day and age where it's pretty easy to see if someone like I can Google a couple of advisors look at their reviews, look at the letters behind their name, years of experience, whatever my criteria are, I can kind of figure out with relative ease whether or not they are competent to create a diversified portfolio for me in a financial plan, which is like a very low bar and very easy to do. Um, whether or not I click with them, right? 
whether or not they get me, whether or not they take the time to understand me and my family and our needs, and whether or not I respect them enough to listen to them when stuff hits the fan and like I, I really need their advice is a wholly different conversation. It's impossible to ascertain on a website and it's what matters. So it's not the technical competence doesn't matter. It absolutely does. But like we're, we're almost to a person technically competent, like, you know, to do the blocking and tackling of, of financial advice provision, most people have the meat and potatoes of it down and it comes to the relationship stuff. So just one piece of advice, focus on that reciprocity, focus on the relationships and a lot of other good stuff will fall in place. And we believe that either creating really wonderful video or creating great audio content through a podcast or very engaging, personalized, intimate, uh, authentic social media posts can help round some of that stuff out instead of you. And it, what we call it is scaled credibility, right? Scaled authenticity. It's a wonderful way for people to hear your voice, feel who you are. And we, of course, side on the side of podcasting because it's very intimate and people listen to their podcasts uh, in their quiet time. All right. My favorite question to ask, which is something I implemented, I, I don't know, quite a while ago, uh, which is, which is what should I have asked you that I didn't? Nobody ever asked me about my hot sauce, Matt. I'm a really skilled hot sauce chef. No one asked me, no one asked me about my hot oh sauce. Oh my God. Okay. You got to expand on that. That I've never heard anybody refer to themselves as a hot sauce chef. That's no, that's, that's way too dramatic. I'm a guy who blends up peppers with his son. So, um, so my children have a freakish taste for hot sauce. Like, I mean, like my two of my three kids are just like fiends for hot sauce to the point where it's expensive. Like we, you know, we, we, we got hooked on this black truffle hot sauce. It's called truff. It's so good. This is the best tip you're getting from me on this whole show. So truff is, truff is incredible. Like black truffle hot sauce, but it's expensive. And like, we just pour it over everything. And so I was like, you guys are killing my financial plan here with your fancy hot sauce needs. And so we, my son and I, he's nine, we started, <clears throat> we started making hot sauce together. We make serrano and jalapeno and habanero is as hot as we get. We're not trying to like, you know, blow your hair back here. We're just like, like some nice flavor. And it's just, it's just a great, it's a great tradition. I've given it to some folks at, at industry conferences. So um, next time you see me speaking at a conference, um, hit me up. I'll bring you some, I'll bring you some, uh, some Southern ghost my, is the name that my son chose for it. He's big into the supernatural and he's a, he's a proud Atlantan. So Southern ghost is the name of our hot sauce company that, I mean, we don't sell it, but you know, I don't know after this show, brother, you might have to, I know, I and, know. Uh, I love, I love good hot sauce, uh, you know, and I don't like I like it when you can taste the heat, but you still have the great yeah. flavor. I don't want to, um, you know, so I'm assuming you guys watch the hot ones, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, you, you're getting to wing three and they're, really, they're, they're one of my favorite ones. And I, I can't remember her name. Um, she said, how has nobody killed you yet? And I just <laughs> thought that was one of the greatest responses is she's like, you know, drinking beer after beer anyway. So yeah. Um, no, no I don't, I, I don't love the really, really hot stuff, you know, and it's like, anytime I go to a hot sauce store and they have stuff sort of marketed by, you know, it's like, 
gonna make you your head explode or something i'm like eh, i'm not interested just just some good flavor dr crosby I, I dude thank you so much for being on the show uh i i appreciate all of the wisdom that you imparted uh if somebody wants to reach out and find out a little bit more about the, this the new uh thing that you guys have coming out with orion or what's the best way for them to reach out to you yeah for sure so check out my podcast right standard deviations have you check out my podcast and then uh if you're interested uh, in the Orion bit, go to orion.com slash practice hyphen management, and you can get all the stuff there. Yay. All right, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of your thought leadership. We appreciate you and everybody. Listen, uh, if you just want to dip your toe into the water of what influence really truly is, then you need to just join the pod rocket Academy for free. It's free. Look, there's great courses in there, how to, you know, solidify your messaging, really how to start your whole podcast. We have this course called Podcasting 101 uh, that will tell you everything that you need to do if you want to start a podcast. We've got great video courses that are in there now. We're really trying to be a great educational resource in a compliant manner so that you or your team can find out how you can truly become more influential in the marketplace. So for Dr. Crosby, Ryan, and all of us here at Proudmouth, we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to know more about how you can be your own loud, visit us at proudmouth.com and sign up for the Pod Rocket Academy. Through courses and office hours led by professional podcast producers and digital marketers, you will learn everything you need to know to become the trusted subject matter expert you were meant to be.